Indeed, Heavenly Father, because of that grand work of grace, that work of redemption wrought in us, we have a whole new way of seeing things. The things that we used to desire, we don't desire them anymore. The things that we used to value, those have changed too. Our value system is not the same. Our desires, our priorities, our schedule even, it's all been affected because you have exchanged a heart of stone for a heart of flesh. You have removed that which was in opposition to you and replaced it with something that is that beats for you, that, that vibrates for you. And we know that when we're in your presence, that's when we're the most satisfied. Other things used to satisfy us. They don't anymore. And now we find great delight in that which is holy, that which is true and right and good. We find delight in chasing after, as inconsistently as we do, chasing after the will of God and a path of righteousness. So thank you. Because nothing, nothing that we desire or ever desired compares with who you are. Our Father, um, we are not deaf to what is happening in a world around us that seems to be going up in smoke. Um, it is a scary, scary world in which we live. We not, don't even really know how to pray except to plead for um, peace and to arouse the church of Jesus Christ to do what you call her to do. We have not been called into being to, to enjoy fellowship suffers. We have been called to be a mighty army that advances the, the kingdom of Jesus Christ from pole to pole. And so, oh God, arouse your people. The only hope this world has is the message that we have for them. A message about how forgiveness can be had, reconciliation can be started, where, where a new life can be begun. And I pray, O oh God, that this will make us more determined to fulfill the Great Commission than ever before. Lord, we thank you for the way that you provided for us, but we, um, we are growing to understand that our, our wealth has been given to us for a reason, and it's not to make life more comfortable for us. It is to meet needs that exist around the world. And so take every dime of this, Lord. It's not, been, um, it's not being given to fatten up the church staff. It's being given so that the kingdom of Jesus Christ can be built. Use every dime of it for that. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. All right, now, back to Genesis chapter 30. I'm going to read you 25 verses, um, beginning at verse 22. You follow in your, no, 25. Uh, beginning in verse 25, we'll read through verse 43. You follow in your copies as, as we read. As soon as Rachel has had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, 
Send me away that I may go to my own home and country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you that I may go, for you know the service that I have given you. But Laban said to him, If I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages and I'll give it. Jacob said to him, You yourself know how I have served you and how your livestock has fared with me. For you had little before I came, and it has increased abundantly, and the Lord has blessed you wherever I turn. But now, when shall I provide for my own household also? He said, What shall I give you? Jacob said, You shall not give me anything. If you will do this for me, I will again pasture your flock and keep it. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb, and the spotted and the speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later when you come to look into my wages with you. Everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted stolen. Laban said, good, let it be as you have said. But that day Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, every one that had white on it, and every lamb that was black and put them in in charge of his sons. And he set a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flock. Then Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees and peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the sticks. He set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks in the troughs, that is, the watering places, where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks, and so the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. And Jacob separated the lambs and set the faces of the flocks toward the striped and all the black in the flock of of Laban. He put his own droves apart and did not put them with Laban's flock. Whenever the stronger of the flock were breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks in the troughs before the eyes of the flock that that they might breed among the sticks. But for the feebler of the flock... He would not lay them there, so the feebler would be Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. Thus, the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants and camels and donkeys. The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our God endures forever. Guys, the last time we visited with Jacob, it was way back on June the 4th, and... um, He was demonstrating what a bad husband he is. You might remember in the first half of chapter 30, uh, it's it's a record of his wives fighting and bickering over him and he's offering absolutely no leadership and and then there's this whole thing at the, at the oh, and beginning in verse 22 or so, where, um, oh, beginning in verse 14, about the mandrakes. Remember that? The, uh, the aphrodisiac and, I mean, it is just an ugly mess, <coughs> pardon me, um, about Jacob and trying to lead his family. Well, I, the bad news is nothing, none of that's changed. Uh, there's still plenty of familial dysfunction for everybody. Uh, but now the, the, the focus of Jacob's concern really shifts away from his family mess onto his brother-in-law, Laban, excuse me, his father-in-law, Laban. And so Jacob decides that it's time for him to move on. It's time for him to extract himself from this, this arrangement of indentured servanthood. And it's time for him to go do his own thing. You know, be the boss of his own life. 
And so he approaches his father-in-law and he, and he says, well, listen, you know, that agreement that we had, you remember the agreement? The agreement was seven years for each of the daughters. That's two daughters. And if my mathematics is correct, that would mean 14 years. Well, he's been there 20. So the, the terms of the previous agreement, they, they, that's, all, that's all been long ago met. And now he's ready to move on to the next stage of his life. You know, it's time to, it's time to do my own thing. But before he can uh, make this move, it, it, it's, what, what I'm suggesting is that what is going on in this event, it, 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 it seems to me that there's a lesson that Jacob has to learn before he can move on. Um, you know, this whole study of the life of Jacob, once he's converted in chapter 28, the rest of the story is a story about character development. It's the story about how God takes a man and begins to develop his character. Well, that's what you have here. You have a piece of character development. You have a lesson that Jacob has got to learn before he can move on, before he can go to that next stage in his life, there's something that he needs to get straight. Which, guys, is the way God deals with all of us. That is, before we move to the next stage of our spiritual development or the whole maturation process, there are certain things that we need to learn. Not, not so much intellectually. There's certain things that we need to get certain things that we need to get straight uh, before we move on in terms of our development as a believer. Um, and one of those lessons is in this story. That is one of the lessons that has to be learned not only by Jacob, but by all of us. It's got to be learned by all of us before we're ever going to get anywhere spiritually. There's a lesson here, guys, that... Um, that we got to get right before we're ever going to make, you know, these great strides spiritually. Um, I, I'm not suggesting that we ever learn any lesson perfectly. But I am suggesting, guys, that in this process of making people into the image of Jesus Christ, there are certain things that we got to get straight. There are things that we got to know. And not, not, you know, Bible trivia or Bible facts. There's lessons. There's principles that you and I have got to get straight before we go to the next level of our spiritual development. We talk about being um, um, uh, made in the likeness of Christ and imitating Christ. Well, before we can make strides in that, there's some things we got to know. There's some things that we got to get right. And one of those things is in this story. And I want to spend my time this morning um, just talking about that lesson that God is teaching Jacob. And so you and I get to watch God teach it to Jacob. And hopefully we can learn it too. Guys, this is how God deals with his people. In, in teaching us, he orchestrates a set of circumstances. He puts us in certain circumstances um, designed to train, designed to teach, designed to woo, designed to conform us. 
That's the way he's dealing with Jacob, and that's the way he deals with the rest of us. He creates circumstances facing us with things that we've got to... These these incidents, these events, are, 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 are supposed to train us about his ways with us and about how we're supposed to properly respond. He teaches us, and the classroom is life. (laughs) All of us have got that. And so in that classroom, certain things occur that have been designed by God to train us. That's what's going on here. Now, let's take a look at the lesson. Keep your finger right here in Genesis 30, and flip over with me, if you will, to Luke chapter 8. We'll come back to Genesis 30, I promise. But um, there's, there's something that I think is introductory in Luke 8. We're talking about a lesson that Jacob has to learn before character development can take place. What this is about this morning. Are you with me? Luke 8. Luke 8, beginning at verse 22. Um, uh, this story over here in Luke 8 is about uh, the disciples in a storm. Now, guys, the disciples seemed like they were always in a storm. They were in several storms. There, there are several stories in the New Testament about the disciples in a storm. They're always out there in the Sea of Galilee in a boat, and, and um, they're in a storm. And, you know, that's one of them. Peter walks on water, and there's all kinds of little things that are different about these stories. But in this story, I want you to notice something. This is in Luke 8, 22. They're in a storm. Um, uh, this is in verse 23. And as they sailed, he fell asleep, and a, and a um, windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And so, verse 24, they go up and wake the man. Master, 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 we're perishing. And he awoke, reeked the wind and the raging, and they, and it ceased and became calm. And he turns to them, and, he's, and he asks them a question. It's right there. It's verse 25. He says, hey, fellas, where is your faith? <laughs> now, gang, does that question um, confuse you? Uh, I mean, he says, uh, hey, you guys, uh, I mean, what do you mean, where is my faith? Uh, you know, I didn't know you could lose it. Well, can you? Can you lose it? I mean, um, uh, does that mean, uh, is, is, is what they're doing here is that there's a possibility that exists that I can lose my faith and uh, I won't become a Christian until I find it again. Yeah, I don't think that's what Jesus is teaching, and that's certainly not what I'm teaching. But if Jesus were teaching, I'd try to teach it. But that's not what he's teaching. Um, Jesus poses a question, that question, to a boat full of saved men. They're frightened men. Their circumstances have frightened them. Uh, but to this boat full of saved, frightened men, he turns to them and he says, Hey, 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 guys, um, where is your faith? Now, this might help you just a little bit. Guys, you need to make a distinction between saving faith and, and, and faith. The Christian life begins when saving faith is exercised, and you never lose that. No one who is genuinely, genuinely converted ever becomes unconverted. But um, in the course of my living out this life related to Jesus Christ, I am being asked to exercise faith all through that life. Jesus is confronting a common malady among Christians. And the common malady is this. There is a failure among us, guys, 
to, to live a life of faith after we have exercised saving faith. Well, let me give you a text. You still with me? This is in Colossians chapter 2. He says, um, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. You understand that? How did you receive Christ Jesus the Lord? Well, you exercise faith. Okay, so walk ye in him. Just like you received him, so walk ye in him. That's what Jesus is confronting. The failure on the part of believers to exercise faith in the course of their lives. So Jesus turns to a boat full of saved men and he's asking them, Hey guys, I know you got it. Where'd you put it? Where is it right now in the midst of these circumstances that are confronting you? Where is the faith? I mean, what'd you do with it? You know, fellas, what you really need to be doing in the midst of your circumstances is that you need to be applying what you know to be true about God already to your present circumstances. That's what you really need to do. But somehow you lost that. Um, you know, these guys in Luke 8 were in a storm. And some of you are too. And in the midst of that, what you were supposed to be doing is using what we already know to be true about God... And to use that to help understand and explain and to describe and cope with our situation. So in the midst of your circumstances, where is your faith? Where did it go? Um, what you're supposed to do is take it and apply it to your present circumstances. And you're not doing that. Now, where did it go? Now, guys. Back to Jacob. Um, what I'm saying about this event in the life of Jacob is that Jacob is indeed a saved man. We settled that in chapter 28. But he knows very little about what it means to live a life that is an application and a description of faith. Um, he's not in a storm. But he's certainly in a circumstance that is challenging. And so in this event, what you get to do is that you get to watch a saved man confront some circumstances that are pretty complex. And did you notice how he did them? I mean, did, you notice how he, did you notice how he confronted them? Do you know how he, what, what, what he does as he uh, confronts his challenge? Well, here's what he does. He does what comes naturally to Jacob. He does what he's good at. He, uh, he plots, he schemes, he manipulates, he plans, he massages. He, um, he's, you know, kind of concerned about his own life and, and maintaining control of it and his circumstances and his environment. He's concerned about his family's future well-being. And so the only path that he knows is the path of scheme. Uh, I mean, uh, he, he woos Laban into this agreement, uh, which is designed to uh, make him, that is jo Jacob, a very prosperous man. Uh, because here's another opportunity for Jacob to, um, uh, to scheme, and he's really good at that. He's really good at the scheming, scamming, planning, manipulating thing. You know, both of these guys come into this conversation, they're really concerned about one thing and one thing only. They want more sheep. How can I get more of the sheep, you know? How can I get my fair share of the wealth? And so Jacob is trying to 
plot out his future, that is his career and his life and, and his family's well-being, and his only area of expertise is scheme. Which for me is what stood out about this episode. A believing man faced with a set of circumstances and the only way that he knows how to handle it is to plot and manipulate and scheme and plan. If you were to ask him at this point, hey, Jacob, 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 where is your faith? I think he would have said something like this. Faith? Well, what does that have to do with it? I mean, I'm just doing what everybody else does. You know, you plan, you plot, you pull a few strings, you manipulate the circumstances. And what that's supposed to produce is a very comfortable, prosperous future for me and my family. What do you mean about faith? I'm just doing what comes naturally. I'm just doing like the rest of the people. I'm just doing what I know best. This is standard operating procedure. Isn't it? By the way, did you notice this scheme? <laughs> Gang, it's, it's really rather comical. He gets all the sheep. He makes this deal with Laban and he takes all the sheep. And uh, he brings them to the watering trough and he's peeled some sticks. <laughs> I, I guess, I, I'm not sure of this, but I guess he thinks that the sensory impressions made at the moment of conception is going to somehow influence the embryo. Do you think that worked? <laughs> you know, this is somewhat of an aside, but the Puritans, the Puritans never wanted to have a baby on Sunday. You don't want to have a baby on Sunday. You know why? Because if you had a baby on Sunday, that meant that conception occurred on Sunday. And that's a clear violation of the Sabbath. Do. Um, gang, is that true? No, it's not true. It's an old wives' tale. And so is this scheme of Jacob's. You know, in the, at the first half of the chapter, he's dealing with mandrakes. Now he's dealing with peeled sticks. And he's thinking, aren't I clever? <laughs> you know, put those peeled pieces of almond wood in front of those, and you know, that'll do it. That'll make them spotted. This guy's no Gregor Mendel. He's tampering with what he thinks is, is producing this. And by the way, he thinks that in chapter 30. In chapter 31, he changes his tune. You can see that in the coming weeks. But my point is, is, is this, guys. Here's a believer who is facing a certain set of circumstances. And the only way he knows how to deal with his circumstances is to try to pull the strings and manipulate the circumstances and plan a plot scheme and, you know, yada, yada, yada. And you go to him and you say, hey, Jacob, where's your faith? Baba? And he says, faith. What does faith have to do with anything? I mean, isn't this how we all operate? Is that, is that, what, is that what we are? are? Are we just a church full of Jacobs? Hey, oh, but I, you know, I just want to. I just want to, you know, do my own thing. I just want to, you know, uh, be in charge of my family's future well-being. Do you? I'm just trying to do this, take care of my family. 
There's nothing, that's not, that's not ugly, but how do you do that, ladies and gentlemen? Jacob is convinced that his future lies in his own scheming devices. And there it is, and it includes peeled sticks. It's absolutely ludicrous. And yet, 6,000 years later, a whole flock of God's people confronting circumstances that are challenging and complex. And the only way we know how to deal with them is manipulate, massage, plot, plan, scheme, pull a few strings. We're convinced that our futures, our, our, our family's well-being, lie in our ability to fashion the forms of our, the forces of our life through the strength of our own will. I'm suggesting that we have our own versions of peeled sticks designed to, um, to control my environment. It, it, it goes like this. Well, it all starts with good grades. You gotta get good grades and then you get yourself a, get yourself an Ivy League, um, uh, education. And you do well there and, and you build a kind of a resume and then you go out and get yourself a good job. And then you work hard and, uh, and you do a little investing on the side and, and, um, uh, and, and then you get a couple of promotions and, and then you get hired away by a bigger company that's gonna pay you more money. That's peeled sticks, ladies and gentlemen. That's what it is. Gang, um, have you and I forgotten that God is in charge of my future? That, that God distributes as he wills? And my schemes don't produce my future safety? Have we forgotten that all of our strengths and all of our abilities and all of our gifts and all of our opportunities we got by way of a gift? You know, Paul says that in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 7. What do you have that you did not receive? Have we forgotten that? And the only thing that's left for us in terms of managing our life is scheme and plot and plan and manipulate and pull strings and Control the forces of our life through the strength of our own will. Tell me, where is that faith of yours? It sounds to me like it lies in you. It's certainly true of Jacob. You know, guys, uh, the next time you are so impressed by your own success, ask yourself this. Ask yourself, my opportunities, where'd they come from? My abilities, my gifts, 
my education, my looks. Where did I get those? And oh yeah, by the way, ask yourself this. Where is your faith? Who is in charge? You. Does your faith lie in your ability to fashion your own circumstances? Well, gang, what I'm saying is that's the lesson that Jacob's got to learn before he ever moves on. That he's not in charge. And neither are you. Neither am I. And until we learn that one, guys, we ain't going anywhere. Your future doesn't depend on your ability to manipulate it. Your future depends on a God who distributes as he wills, just as he wills, and he does it quite well. You know, when... um, when our girls were small, when I was a father of small girls, you know, they were um, like six and four and one. Um, I, I remember we lived over on Aniston Cove, and, and I, uh, I would cut the grass. I had a big backyard. It was a, it was a monster of a backyard. I, I learned to hate cutting grass in that backyard. And, um, but I'd cut it, you know, every time it needed, you know, every Saturday or, or so. And I'd get out there with my shirt off, which... You know, I used to be able to do that. I know that's a whole lot more information that you want, but um, um, I, I remember. But I, my, my my mental picture is that I would get out there doing the cutting that grass. I had those three little girls, and um, and I'd be cutting that grass up and down and up and down, and, I, and I'd be thinking, how in the world am I ever going to afford to educate these three girls? You know, um, whatever you may think about the ministry, it's not a place where people get rich, and I'm thinking. Um, how in the world am I going to pay for three college educations? And not only that, how am I going to how am I going to pay for three weddings? My goodness, where's this money going to come from? Newsflash. I have three grown daughters. They're all educated. They're all married. And all of their weddings are paid for. How'd you do that? By a string from my own will? Yeah. You don't believe in me. Do you believe you're going to do it by the strength of your own will? Or do you think that you are being called, like Jacob, to live by the faith that you first exercised when you became a Christian? Which one of those? And until you get that one down, ladies and gentlemen, you ain't going anywhere. Because I'm here to tell you, you ain't in charge. But a good heavenly father... 
you know, you may have not listened to a thing I said, but I'll tell you this. You'll remember what I'm about to say. This might illustrate it better than anything I've said. Um, I, I, uh, I've been singing a song all week. Not all week, but some of the week. Uh, it's a song by Carrie Underwood. I, I started to have it played, but I thought maybe y'all were tired of listening to me play songs. But, so I just, you know, this is, a, this is a song by Carrie Underwood. It's off of her album, and uh, it's called Jesus Take the Wheel. You ever heard that one? Jesus Take the Wheel. You know, it's, I, I don't know whether it's a rock song or a country and if it's a country and western song, would you please shoot me in the foot? But um, it might be a, uh, a Christian song. I don't know what kind of song it is, but um, it's Jesus Take the Wheel. And I decided that I wouldn't sing it, but I do have the lyrics here for you. I know you'll be pleased. The lyric says, you know, she's driving home one, uh, one evening. She's going to Cincinnati. She's, uh, you know, it's a snowy white Christmas Eve, and she's just on her way to Cincinnati to see her mom and dad. You know, she was apparently a single mother, and uh, she's, uh, she wants to see mom and dad. Baby's in the back seat asleep, and, and uh, she's 50 miles from her mom and daddy's house, and, and she says she's running a little low on fuel and faith. And then all of a sudden, it says uh, she uh, hits a, I mean, she wasn't paying attention. It says she was going way too fast. And before she knew it, she was spinning on a thin black sheet of glass. Must have hit some ice. And boy, she just spinning around there. And, and, um, and she says, she said, I saw both of my eyes, uh, lives flash before my eyes. And I didn't have time to cry. So I just shot up the little song, Jesus, take the wheel. You know, ladies and gentlemen, that is a tragic little ditty or ballad or whatever it is, because I got some news. I don't think Carrie Underwood meant this, but I got some news for you. If you think you still got the wheel in your hands, it ain't in your hands. But you see, the very idea that we come to this Christian life and say, you know, I got it all under control here, but up oh, there's a circumstance that's a little bit over my head. How about right now, let's let Jesus take the wheel. Gang. You know, this is peeled sticks. You, you think you're steering the thing. I got some news for you. You never were steering it. That's a myth. And all we're doing is engaging in a lifelong battle with the one who is in charge. Gang, you're not in charge. You never were. You never will be. But we have a Heavenly Father who loves us in spite of our sin, and He is now. Learn that, or you're not going anywhere in terms of character development. Father, I, I do pray that you will teach your people how foolish it is to manipulate and fret and, and, and strive and plan and plot and, and come up with our own little versions of how we're going to control our futures when we're not in charge. Never were, and I pray that you will... Give us the quiet peace, the sweet rest of knowing that our God is. It's so exhausting trying to live a life that we manipulate. So, Father, teach us what it means to not only begin by faith, but to live by it. 
to work hard, to be conscientious, and then to cast our, our futures into the hands of a good God who does a whole lot better with them than we, we could ever dream of doing. Father, if you've led people here today who have not yet met Jesus Christ, might they see that in the midst of their challenging, complex life, that they're getting nowhere. That the only place of rest, the only place of peace, the only place of forgiveness is at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ. Do that, Father, for Jesus' sake. In his name we pray.